And welcome to the socialworldpodcast.com. Your host is Dave Niven. Today's show is sponsored by David Niven Associates. Welcome to podcast number 30. I'm Dave Niven and this is the Social World Podcast. I can't believe that we've actually reached 30 programs already. It was only six or seven months ago that we started doing this weekly podcast. I'm really pleased that you're all listening. There's been a terrific amount of downloads and, and anybody who's new and listening to this, please stick with it because hopefully I can provide some of the stuff that you want to listen to, some of the world that uh, social work and social care inhabits and some of the key people talking about educative things, imaginative things, the future, digital world, etc. So stick with it. Now... I'm just amazed how fast, as I said, that this, these particular months have gone. Number 30, podcast number 30, the, the number of people I've, I've been fortunate enough to have on this program and talk with and to listen to, I mean, it really encapsulated an awful lot of the world of social care, social work that we, um, that we live in, that we work in. And sharing that is just terrific. Now, you can listen to this, you can download this, as you know, on iTunes, Podfeed, Stitcher, Go to the website, the socialworldpodcast.com, uh, email um, uh, anywhere, and, and media at socialworldpodcast.com, Twitter at Dave Niven. Just keep it coming in, your feedback, because we get so many of you, and on LinkedIn and Twitter and so forth, which I'll, I'll just say in a second. Now, some of the people that have been actually... Um, getting in touch with us and having good in exchanges with, thank you very much, Baswa UK Social Work Group, now uh, responding to the interview with David Jones I did last week, Tanya Hawkins, Kwaku Afram, Paul Hawkins and Olivia Ward are just some of the people that engaged in that conversation. And I'm really grateful because that's what I want. I want some kind of exchange. I want to see what all your views are about some of the global agenda and other matters that David laid out, and every guest I have. Now on Twitter, there's been Lennon Nightingale, John Fallowfield, Denise Turner, Voice the Union, the LA Fund, Reset Parenting, and retweets have come in from Isabel, Katrina, Sally Holland, Annalee Angel-Murray, uh, SSSW, Scottish Association of Social Work, and so many others. And I really, really appreciate that. And because of it, I've really decided that this is going to be a, a review, if you like, of the last 30, or some of the issues that have been raised in the last 30, as well as a contemporary matter or two. But also, I just want to give you a future uh, heads up about some of the guests who've agreed to come on the podcast. Now, at the end of May, we're going to talk to John Brown, I hope, who's um, head of the section in the NSPCC that deals with um, sexual abuse. He's also director of strategy, uh, and he's got a long and, and very important history in the, the field of social care. Very interesting. Looking forward to that one. And then there's going to be Tessa Jowell, who's going to come back for a short interview uh, and I want to ask her and reflect about her life in politics, Dame Tessa Jowell, who 
has been on the front bench for many, many um, years and has got a terrific amount of experience in the cabinet and outside and has been always, always sympathetic towards social work as far as I can understand and remember. Then I'm going to interview Isabel Trowler, who's the Chief Social Worker for England for Children and Families. She's not long in post, and so she, but she's carving out an agenda, and I want her to, uh, to tell you all about that. But I'm also going to mix this up a bit, why the social world and not social work podcasts. So it was because I could have a bit of elbow room, but parenting is, is very much part of the world of social work. And um, Faye Dicker, who has a, her own podca- podcast at Freelance Bristol Mums, and she, uh, ex-BBC uh, journalist and radio breakfast presenter, and uh, fascinating. She's going to come along and guest on my programme, and she was kind enough to invite me to guest on hers and do a newspaper review. So I think this is great. Podcasting world, exchange of guests. And then I want to do a focus on Scotland and Scottish social care. And uh, as I said earlier, the the Scottish Association of Social Work, uh, I'm going to hopefully uh, negotiate with them a decent magazine programme about Scotland. And uh, what's happening there? What's the innovations there? What are they doing? Who are they liaising with? What uh, particular groundbreaking is going on? I think that'd be terrific. Now, one of the first things I want to go back to, I talked about this a few weeks ago, is the privatisation of child protection. Uh, But there's more. There's more come out. And Edward Timson, who's the uh, children's minister, actually addressed this issue um, during a a speech at uh, a conference called Community Care Live. And he's talked about uh, the concerns, his response to the concerns from various social work academics, that the government proposals to allow the outsourcing of children's services will therefore see child protection services privatised. And he said that whole, he said, wholesale privatisation is a misrepresentation of the government's ambitions. And he said, um, and he, now this isn't, he said, as you might have read over the weekend about privatisation. At the moment, local authorities are accountable for statutory children's social work, and I want to be clear that the government's absolutely no plans to change this. But we're asking whether high-quality services could be delivered by a wider range of organisations. Now, before I go on in this speech, and this is me talking, not his speech, I want just to sort of reflect on that paragraph, because he said, we haven't got any plans but maybe we'll let some bits out. That's how I read it. And I am a bit doubtful as to when you open something up, how you can actually retain uh, enough to keep control. So we'll see. Anyway, he went on and said, we're not talking about turning children's services over whole scale to large companies with no expertise in this area, that's very much a misrepresentation of our ambition. Now, councils already have other sorts of statutory responsibilities that they don't provide in-house. They instead draw on the expertise, innovation and capacity of a range of other organisations. Now, okay, this seems to me still opening the door a bit wider. 
But then he went on and he said, let's say, for instance, this is all quoted at this speech to Community Care Live. Let's say, for instance, that you wanted to set up a small social work practice, he said, a bit like a GP practice. The social workers are the heart of your community. An independent organisation, a charity or a mutual to which the council delegated powers. Children's social workers, he thinks, have been denied the freedoms other professionals have enjoyed for decades. In other words, because uh, the law as it stands says you can't uh, deliver services in any other way than, than is laid down. And we want these freedoms available in children's social care as well, just like other professionals have enjoyed for decades. Well, okay. Um, I have still grave doubts. This is my view. I still have grave doubts because the profit motive, as far as I'm concerned, comes in. And even if you're what's called a not-for-profit company, you still have to make profit uh, to distribute um, among the, the workforce, pay the staff, goodness knows what else, and you want to actually retain and grow, and you can put money into growth, and it doesn't have to be profit, it could be developmental. So there's still an incentive to make money out of child protection, and if any of it gets privatised, the danger will be that decisions will be made that are in financial interests rather than children's interests. That's what I'm saying. If something can be constructed, if parts can be delivered better for the sake of the children and uh, on behalf of the children, and we can be convinced of that, fine, okay. But there has to be checks and balances, serious checks and balances, on the financial side of things, and just quite what and who, who what, what kind of money is made and who it goes to. Okay. So I think we can well expect much more in the near future on that matter. Okay, the next thing really is they talked about the standards for social work employers in England. Um, again, I've taken this from Community Care Online. And under the revised guidance, uh, employers will be expected to have effective workforce planning to try and prevent high vacancy rates. Well... Okay. And it sets out what social workers should expect, should expect um, such as to work in teams adequately staffed, um, where, it's respect, where they're respected, professional judgments respected. Fine. Social Work Reform Board uh, a few years ago brought that in, in these um, guidelines into place, this development. But has it happened? Would your frontline, your, your average frontline social worker recognize this? that they have got uh, working in teams that are adequately staffed, adequately staffed, having their professional judgment about workload capacity respected? I doubt that somehow or other. And so what we've got here is a great tension between what is being reinforced as a professional necessity in order to be able to execute the job of social work effectively and the reality of uh, the impact of great cuts in services and in staffing up and down the country. It's just a question of priority at the end of the day. You can't force people to be ethically and professionally totally 
at the same time as you're cutting their legs from under them. It just it just makes sense, and there's nobody particular to blame about this. But an awful lot of people should be recognising this and finding ways to change it. Unison, the, uh, the, the trade union, said in response to this that uh, we want the standards to be universally adopted for safe and effective social work practice. They represent the employer side of the bargain by giving social workers the support they need. And that's, that's good advice. And exactly the same advice I've heard from the Social Workers Union, which is uh, affiliated with the British Association of Social Workers. And Maris Stratulis, who is the England manager at the British Association of Social Workers, said that uh, BASWA had been involved in the refreshing of standards for employers. And we certainly hope that employers will actively promote and implement the standards. Actively promote and implement the standards. I hope all people who have got an interest in social work, all people who've got an interest in inspecting social work and in, and in um, observing uh, the quality of social work, takes that into account. Very, I mean, that is just, that is very good advice from Baswell. Okay. Well, I was pleased. Another milestone in the podcast history was the uh, conference uh, that we had on early childhood matters in Bristol. And oh, some of the feedback we had from that, it, this, was, this is my childhood, there will be no other, was the title we gave it and we we did it in conjunction with BASPSCAN, the British Agencies for the Study and Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect. And it was fascinating. And it was so well received. And the feedback was terrific. It was just one of these days, you know, not every day is like that, but one of these days where it all came together and it worked. I mean, let me read you some of the feedback. Extremely valuable and vital information really motivating, helping me to remember why I do the job I do. It left me wanting to go away and make wholesale changes as to how I do social work. Lynn MacDonald, Professor Lynn MacDonald this was, was excellent and inspirational. Jane Evans really laid it out like it should be. Excellent content and thought-provoking practice influencing. Excellent Engaging, passionate, creative and accessible presentation with invaluable skill sharing. Now, I make no bones <laughs> about, about that. I, 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 you know, occasionally you've just got to say it like it is and it was just terrific. The whole, and I hope we can make more, make more uh, events like that happen. Now, another podcast that we did was to do with um, Jim Gamble. Now, Jim was somebody I met many years ago, um, and he had been head of uh, the Child Exploitation and Online Protection Centre, which was um, based in London, Metropolitan Police. 
I mean, he had been the Association of Chief Police Officers lead on child protection and child trafficking, and uh, he was the founder of the chair and chair of the Virtual Global Task Force. Uh, all of it targeted towards the safeguarding of children. And he was awarded the Queen's Police Medal for his services to policing. But he had a serious difference of opinion with the Home Secretary, Theresa May, at the time, and resigned. But in his time there, he made an enormous amount of changes and an enormous amount of advances in leading CEOPS um, to some excellent outcomes and some significant um, credibility within the policing community internationally as well as nationally. Now, Jim left and set up INEQ, as he calls it, I-N-E-Q-E, which is a business that focuses on making people's lives safer through training and technology. I mean, it specifies one of its main uh, things is to, to look at child protection and, and safer schools and colleges program and so forth. But at the same time, he also advises, as does his um, partners, on security generically around the world and uh, advises all sorts of people who are involved in the security industry and in need of security um, in so many different settings. Now, his passion is the safeguarding of children. And he explained the need for educating children on social media use rather than preventing access. Um, it should be heavily into our education and the, because there's so many benefits of social media. Uh, rather than uh, encouraging hidden damaging behaviours, as he put it. And he thinks that cyberbullying should be credited as a criminal offence because the, the the risks to children's lives and sanity. We talked about the use of technology in identifying the victims of child abuse. That happens to be one of my things as well. I'm really passionate about the fact that we should spend so much more money in, in, in um, the identification of victims where they are and have they have their abuse been interrupted even though we might have arrested somebody that had their images? And he argued about needing to ha ask ourselves every time we engage with a child, did I actually hear them? Did I actually help them? And social workers need to understand the online profiles of the children they work with as well as their home real-life profiles because that's increasingly becoming the entire child. And that will dramatically aid social workers to protect protecting children. Uh, the embracing of technology um, and not just seeing it as a dangerous tool, as a, seeing it as a threat, but actually seeing it as something that uh, you can use to be creative or you can interrogate to be analytic and therefore how to help a child in the best possible way. That was good. And, and I want to talk to Jim again sometime in the future. Now, all in all, there were so many of these podcasts and it's difficult picking out one or two. But something that's stuck with me forever is... Um, a, well, it's a passion, I suppose, 
an absolute determination to uh, combat paedophiles and their threats to children. It's not just some kind of kind of um, out of order thing. I I have got a real view about the way that the law enforcement works and the way that social care works in terms of working with victims. But some of the experiences I've had that have formed my views as they are now kind of stick out, and I did put them into one or two of the podcasts. I remember in. Um, one of the things I've said before was I remember in 1997 standing in Scotland Yard with who the then head of paedophile unit watching the arrival of a large furniture van that was full of explicit material that had been seized. And out of that furniture van came three trolleys, you know, the kind that they used to wheel the luggage across to aeroplanes. And three of them were stacked full and came out of this van and into the in, in, into the offices, and that was just one man, one house, and um, indecent material that had been seized, whether it was computers or literature, uh, whatever. And I remember also being abroad and standing on the beach at Colombo in Sri Lanka. And uh, I, in a matter of five minutes, and this was in the 90s, I, I was approached by oh, so many people within five minutes wanting to sell their children or sell children. Do I want to buy children? Do I want to buy under five children for the price of a pint of beer? As they obviously thought that I was one of the probably thousands of men from Western industrialized countries that... Um, was over there to abuse children because uh, there's unfortunately a pervasive thought in Western countries that uh, children in third world countries are somehow less than children in first world countries. And some of the people I felt the most sorry for in terms of their soul were the civilians who day after day had been uh, were, were employed by the police in a unit to oversee all the seized material. And day in, day out, they had to endure this and be flooded, as I said, with this material. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, my eyes were really opened by the volume that flooded around the world. And I remember being invited to go to... Um, Interpol in uh, Wiesbaden in Germany to lecture on ChildSafe, which at that time was a particular program we were trying to promote, and realizing just the, I mean, the, the countries involved. I mean, every six months in, uh, at that time, there was the Interpol uh, offences against minors group that convened very senior police officers from about, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 countries around the world every six months convened. And most of it was dominated by uh, an absolute avalanche of threat to children from organised crime to sex tourism. It just opened my eyes. 
Now, some of us have known about all these things. We've lobbied for it for uh, against them for years. And it's good that people listen, and it's good that changes have been made, but my goodness, some of the children that could have been spared the trauma of the abuse over the years, I mean, only recently, uh, and apparently announced for the next Queen's speech, there's to be legislation to close a loophole where paedophiles can possess manuals on how to spot potential child targets, how to groom them, and how to evade capture. The penalties, okay, will be on a level with those who possess bomb-making equipment, hence the, the sort of rather dramatic headlines about um, equivalent to terrorism. But, uh, I mean, these are very strong sanctions. Now, as I said, some of us have known about it for, for decades, uh, These that these things exist. I'm just, just a bit sad that this is a bit late, like again. And I wonder how many children might have been saved in some way or might have had the, the, well, their abuse prevented if some of this stuff had only happened a bit earlier. As I've said before, I have said it so many times and tried to lobby, and I know there's people that, be that believe the same as I do, a root and branch national inquiry into the sexual abuse of children and all the activity associated with it would be a great start. Pulling together all the agencies, pulling together an action plan, a national plan. A national plan. Why not? Anyway. Oh, that was edition 30. That still, still seems crazy that it's been that many. I'm very grateful to you for listening. Uh, and please, if you have, give us some feedback on iTunes or on, on website, whatever, beside each podcast and each blog on the website, uh, there's something called SpeakPipe, which is a, a one sort of uh, one-click way of giving a quick bit of verbal feedback. And I will include it in another podcast, um, as well as giving you a shout-out. I'd really appreciate that. So the more of you that actually can do this, the better. Thanks. Give us these feedbacks. Give us some Twitter feed. Give us some LinkedIn connections. Keep it going. I, I, one thing I want to try and pursue, and I'll keep you posted on this, I would very much like to form a, a loose association of social work podcasts around the world. And I mean, and now that I do believe that the Social World, world podcast is the number one social work podcast in the United Kingdom, I, would, uh, I, I will be in touch with my colleagues across the Atlantic and in Europe and see if we can actually pool some resources, be guests in each other's program, exchange information, and all, all, for your benefit. So please keep listening. Thanks very much, and I'll see you at number 31. <laughs>